Welcome to the weekly message from Rayma Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rayma.org.au forward slash media. All right, anointing power. The anointing, now that is a term that you're going to hear in church. It isn't a common word outside, and so uh, when we come to church, sometimes there's a whole vocabulary that we come to learn. Have you ever come to know that? You know, there are some words, I know when Tony and I and the girls were in, in Italy, there was an Italian language that you would learn, uh, you know, when we would go to Italian school, what's in the books, you know, the Italian uh, vocabulary and language. But then there's a whole vocabulary that you learn when you're in church. And there are things to describe things of God. That unless you're dealing with things of God that maybe you may not, you may not have to come in contact with. Well, what anointing is one of those words. What is it? And we use it a lot. Uh, Pentecostal churches will use it a lot. What is the anointing? In the New Testament, the particular word anointing is not used a lot, only five times, and, and we're going to look at some of that today. In the Old Testament, we see it demonstrated and actually introduced, but there are other power words that are synonymous to anointing in the New Testament. We're going to look at some of those, uh, those power words. We use, and we'll say things like in a, in a meeting, if there was a strong message or uh, there was a strong move of healing, we'd say there was a strong anointing. What does that mean? Well, other power words that would be synonymous or that you could hear as well would be the glory of God was there. You've heard maybe somebody say, oh, the glory of God was in that meeting. Or uh, and one that we see in the written word of God is the word grace. Now, this word is used many times in the New Testament, and often it carries the connotation of power. We're not going to look at those, all of those references today, but grace also is a power word, all right? Also, the word virtue. In the King James Version, you'll see this word virtue is also a power word. It was virtue that healed the woman that had the issue of blood. The life of God is a power word. Where God's life is, there is Power, Hebrews says, that it is the power of an endless life. There is a quality of life that God has that is powerful. And light also is a power word. So when you'd hear those kind of words used in a sermon or somebody describing as a, a, a meeting or something that God is doing, these words denote and carry the meaning of the power of God. So where is the power? It's in his anointing. Where is the power? It's in his glory. 
Where's the power? It's in his grace. It's in his virtue. It's in his life. It's in his light. Well, we're going to hone in on this word, this power word, anointing. Now, in the book of Exodus, and we won't take time to look there, but you can write this down if you're taking notes. Exodus, the 30th chapter, God gave a recipe for a holy anointing oil. And in this, in this recipe, olive oil was the base ingredient. In addition, then, there were other uh, ingredients that were put in there that made it a beautiful fragrance. Myrrh, cinnamon, cassia, sweet cane. And were added to this olive oil in a particular way, in just the way that God wanted it to be made. And this oil, then was used to, uh, to anoint anything that God wanted to separate for his purpose. So oil, the anointing oil, that's what it was called, was a holy anointing oil, was poured, for instance, on the priests. And when it was, it separated them from common use to holy use. It separated them from just what they were doing before unto the service of a holy God. And so, uh, not only was this holy anointing oil put on the priest, it was put on everything that was to be used in the service of the Lord. It was put on the furniture, it was put on the building, on the tabernacle, on the tent, later on on the building. But everything was anointed with this oil and sanctified or set apart for holy service unto the Lord. People, then even later on, kings were anointed. The kings of Israel and Judah were anointed with holy anointing oil. First Samuel, the 16th chapter, when God was telling Samuel to go to Jesse's house to anoint, the way he said it to Samuel, he said, Fill your flask with oil. Fill it up with oil and go and anoint David to be king. And so, uh, so there was this pouring of the oil and the sense of this, this pouring oil, this holy anointing oil that would come down and drip and cover a person would be then, uh, would be symbolic, but also would give a physical example of something very, very amazing. Because the holy anointing oil was to be a physical representation of the Holy Spirit. Now, oil is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity. But how can you wrap your mind around God, something that's infinite, something that is immeasurable? How can you, how can you have any relative way of getting a hold of what the Holy Spirit is? And so God gave different different symbols or different natural examples in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. Fire is one. That dove that landed upon Jesus after he was baptized is another. 
Wind is another physical example of the Holy Spirit. But oil, this holy anointing oil is a physical example of the Holy Spirit. And what, uh, what uh, God was picturing way back from the beginning is the, uh, the anointing or the person of the Holy Spirit in coming upon a person would separate them from just common use to holy use. The Holy Spirit, and he is the Spirit of God, but his very name is Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is holy. And his person and his presence is, has a separating ability to separate things from things that are base and defiled and has the ability to lift and bring up to the purposes of God. Aren't you thankful for the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit? So, Luke, the fourth chapter, and the 18th verse then, if you'll just look there, Luke 4, 18, or 17, we'll pick this up, Jesus himself then, when he came, uh, and uh, he entered into ministry. This is one of the first things that happened. Luke, the fourth, the fourth chapter and verse 17, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. A prophecy about himself, actually. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has, and here's this word, he has anointed. Now this word anointed, anointed means, or anoint means to smear or to pour. And so it says that the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is saying this, uh, claiming this prophecy to himself, that the, literally the Holy Spirit is upon me. Like oil was poured upon that, that picture that we saw of David. Literally, the Holy Spirit is poured upon me. He's anointed me. And what has he set him apart to do? Well, one thing that he was set apart to do was to preach. He was anointed to preach. And the very first thing that the Scripture says that Jesus was anointed to preach was good news to the poor. I think that is dramatic. It could have been anything. There could have been many things that Jesus um, and the Holy Spirit had declared prophetically that Jesus was going to do first off. But the very first thing that he said, I am anointed to preach good news to the poor. Now, uh, Jewish people, by culture, and by their, uh, by their teaching were instructed, part of their giving, part of their giving, well, of course they were tied, they, everything was first fruits to the Lord. It's one of the reasons why they're one of the richest group of people on the planet is because they know about giving. And they don't hoard, they give. But not only do, 
do they give where uh, their synagogue and the, the house of God is concerned, but they also give to the poor. Giving to the poor is something that they have always known to do. Well, even the disciples. And uh, uh, later on, when Judas was going to uh, go out and betray the Lord, and Jesus said, go ahead and go out and do what you're going to do. Do it now. The di other disciples thought he was going to go out and, um, and uh, do some th other things with his money. And they were accustomed to the fact that Jesus, or the, the money was given from Jesus and his disciples to the poor. It was very common for people to give to the poor on their way in to worship. That's where poor people were, was on the entrance to the, to the temple. And so people commonly gave to the poor. That is different than preaching good news to the poor. There is a difference between giving to the poor and preaching good news to the poor. Giving to the poor sustains and helps them for the moment, gives and sustains them for that meal or, or a couple meals. Preaching the good news to the poor teaches them how to not be poor anymore. I'm telling you, if you're poor, it's a wonderful thing to have somebody, and I, when we were in, in France, we noticed a lot of beggars there. And... Um, and they would have, uh, you know, just a little cup. And, and you would, uh, you'd see like two or three different coins in, in a cup. And they just sustain and eke out a life with just a, a few coins in a cup. But good news to the poor is how that you don't have to be a beggar anymore. Life can change. Poverty is not something that God desires for anyone. He has arranged and he has prescribed that we give to the poor. And we'll always, Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor with you. And we'll always be giving to the poor. But Jesus was not anointed to give to the poor. He was anointed to preach good news to the poor so that they don't have to be poor anymore. So we give to the poor, but we also give good news. And I love that, that portion of scripture that you gave this morning, that he teaches us how to, how to get wealth. It is not just a quick, it's not a lottery. It's not plunking our, our offering in and, and, and then hitting the jackpot. It's, it's a way of life that we don't hoard we give, and that is a way that we express faith in God, that as we give, he gives back unto us so that we can give more, and it increases and increases. It's a whole different way of thinking, and it's a good way of thinking. Praise the name of the Lord. But Jesus was anointed to preach. Not only was he anointed to do that, he was sent to heal. He was sent to heal, and I love that it says this, we see over and over in Jesus' ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that he healed physical bodies. He reached out with his hands. He ministered healing with his words. 
but what he was anointed to do that he claims to himself here, he came to heal brokenhearted people. Not only does God heal physical bodies, but when people are broken in their, in their souls, something has broken them. Something has, has hurt them. Something has bruised their life. Jesus said, I am anointed to heal the brokenhearted. There can be people that, that pat you and say, I'm sorry, I, I am so sorry, I feel so bad for what has happened to you. They can give you their love and their kindness, but their love doesn't go down deep enough to heal what is broken. Jesus and the anointing that he said he was anointed with goes to the very deepest cracks in anybody's soul. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm, think, I'm thinking about, you know, yesterday was Anzac Day, and I, I listened to quite a, a number of um, interviews of old soldiers, eyewitness accounts, and then also listening, listened to different common uh, commentators about about what had happened back in at that time, and I noticed with some of those old eyewitness, uh, there were a couple of them that really struggled even with the interview because of of what they had endured and seen and and the atrocities of war. I spoke to somebody on an airplane who is a who is a a, a, a special a special counselor for people returning to war or from war. And he said of all the people, though, that he has uh, had to counsel and to, um, to serve is a doctor, uh, the, the worst and the worst broken up people, he said, of any, any veterans of any wars that have come back are the ones that are coming back now from Afghanistan and Iraq. He said, they are absolutely a mess. And I thought today is a perfect day. We, we thanked God and we remembered them. But I'm telling you what, I really felt as a church, we needed to ask the Lord for anointing to heal brokenhearted soldiers that return. We've got guys that are coming back here home from Iraq and Afghanistan, and they need help from heaven. We have some people here in this country, those dear men that I saw in those interviews, they still suffer from the effects of war. They still, uh, from Vietnam and, and from other wars that, that our Anzac soldiers have been involved in. Can we, can we, before we go any further in this sermon, can we just pray another prayer for Anzac soldiers? I think as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have anointing, we have anointing, and let's, let's use that anointing today to help, to help these dear people, not just to honor them, but to help them. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we lift up our Anzac soldiers, fathers, brothers, sons that have come back, daughters, moms that have come back, and oh, there's a brokenness. There's a, there's a shredding that their souls have had because of what they have seen and experienced in war. And we thank you that today, we, as we look at Luke 4.18, that Jesus was anointed to heal the brokenhearted. We pray for the chaplaincy. 
We pray for ministries that reach out to these people as they come back. We pray for those that minister to veterans. And we ask you for a fresh anointing. Can you agree with me about that? We ask you for a fresh anointing upon these ministries. We ask that these ministries be strengthened. We ask you that in churches around Australia today, that not only would there be honor given to these wonderful people that have stood and, and fought for freedoms, but Father God, that there would be ministry that would pour into their souls and restore their souls. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now let's go on. Not only was Jesus anointed to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted, but he was also sent to proclaim liberty. Proclaim liberty to the captives. And he did. When he came, he just started declaring freedom in people's life. You don't see him bargaining with their problems. We just see him liberating people. And there was nothing too difficult to be liberated from. I love that song that we sang this morning. There's power in the name of Jesus to do what? Break every chain. Any chain and every chain. There's power in the name of Jesus. Song of Solomon says about the name, it says your name is as ointment poured forth. So we say there's power in the name of Jesus. We could say it this way, there's anointing in the name of Jesus. There is this oil of anointing in the name of Jesus that goes down into the cracks and, and into the breaking in people's life, but it also gets on those chains and breaks the chains. How is it that the same anointing can go and heal something in so kind and sweet of a way, but is also powerful enough to break and destroy chains. And this is the anointing of God. Not only that, but it to, to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind. Anointed to declare healing in people's life. Not only that, but to set at liberty those that are oppressed. Two times in this prophecy that Jesus claimed to himself from Isaiah, the 61st chapter, there is the proclaiming of liberty for people who are in bondage to anything. I love that. The next verse of scripture, verse, verse 19, is Jerry Savelle. <laughs> and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so <laughs> he, is, he is anointed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of Jubilee or the year that God is not holding anything against us. Aren't we thankful that Jesus came and made a way for everyone to be free? Now, if you look at verse 18 in the Amplified, I'd like you just to see this says, to send forth is delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, 
and broken down by calamity. Now there are, there are different things that people can, can do and different advantages that this government has is a, is a really wonderful social system to be able to help people that are broken by calamity and things. But there is nothing like the anointing that is in the name of Jesus to restore people, to get people back on their feet. And we are the dispensers of the anointing. Acts 10, 38. Acts 10, 38. It says how God, and here's that word again, how God anointed. And so if you'll just picture what we saw with Samuel pouring oil on David's head, God himself, God the Father, anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit, and with power. And so it puts the anointing and power together. Jesus was not just on the earth as a wonderful man, kind and good. He is kind and good. He is wonderful. He wasn't just, he wasn't just an amazing teacher. He is an amazing teacher. He is the best teacher. He is the truth. But there was something else about Jesus, and he is powerful. And that power enabled him to go about and do good and heal all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I love reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and watching how somebody, a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, just starts cleaning stuff up. <laughs> Doesn't just look at human society and say, isn't that too bad? Isn't that sad? But the compassion that was in him was not just pity and sympathy, but it moved him to people to apply the anointing to their life to break chains and to break them free out of oppression and to bring healing to their life. Isaiah 10, 27, and, um, and this song that, uh, that Andy and Annalise got really comes from this particular verse of Scripture. And so, you know, sometimes we sing things in songs and, and they become cliche sometimes. You think, well, where did that come from? They're great words, but where does that come from? It came from this verse of Scripture here, Isaiah 10, 27. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder. And what he's talking about, the Assyrian the Assyrian people, they were very savage, barbaric, beastly people. Very mean to the people that they would, would oppress. They didn't just kill them, they mutilated and har they just, it was horrific, the oppression that they gave to people. And they had had oppression on the children of Israel. And, uh, and so he was talking about this burden of oppression would be taken away from your shoulder. And his yoke, you know, we sang in that song, yoke destroying. What is a yoke destroying? A yoke uh, uh, 
Uh, Tony talks about this in, in uh, really, really well on this verse of scripture. Yoke together, it's a yoke that is put upon an animal to, uh, so that they become a beast of burden. They are able to plow or, or to carry things, a yoke. But if they're yoked together, with another animal like a double yoke that wherever one animal goes the other one goes and so it gives a picture that you're yoked together with oppression it's like you can leave maybe move from melbourne and come up to queensland but whatever was bothering you in melbourne is still bothering you in queensland you can get away from some people that bug you, but you move to another place and you'll find people in that very place that bug you the same way. You can run away from the awful, the awful temptations that just chase and nip at your feet. You can run, 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 but wherever you go, there they are. You can close your closet door with the skeletons that are in there and open the kitchen door and those skeletons are in your kitchen. And so that's what a yoke of bondage is. You can't, get a, you can't get rid of it. You can't get away from it. It's like flypaper. You, you try to shake it off and it sticks to another finger. You try to put your foot on it to get it off your hand and it sticks to your foot. You know, that kind of... Did anybody have flypaper here? Aren't you glad we don't have flypaper anymore? But anyway, there, it's a nasty thing. It just won't get, you can't get rid of it. You try to get rid of it one way and it comes up another. I'm telling you what, the anointing is good for breaking the yoke so that you can get free of whatever has stuck to you. Aren't we thankful for that? Let's take about five seconds and let's just be thankful for yoke-destroying anointing. Praise the name of the Lord. Jesus said this. Well, actually, the angel that prophesied to Jesus' mother before, before he was conceived, he said he will, Jesus, the one that would be born of her, will save his people from their sin. And how he does it is through the truth that is in the word of God and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There is no bondage. There is no sin, no temptation, no habit that is too great for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So then this says, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Now, um, the literal meaning of this word, if you really uh, follow this verse of scripture and look at the Hebrew meaning, uh, it actually says the yoke will be destroyed because of the fatness, because of fatness. <laughs> In other words, you'll break out of the, of the yoke because you just get too big. Well, naturally, that's not real happy thought. We don't want to get that fat. But spiritually speaking, what he was saying here is instead of being impoverished, instead of being emaciated, there would be such fatness and such prosperity and such fullness and life that literally bust out of whatever was choking you. There was a gal... Uh, in the early years of us 
pastoring in, the, in one of the, it was the first year actually, and precious, precious lady. And, and there was um, something, a yoke on her of, of smoking marijuana. Wonderful woman, precious Christian, but it just seemed like she just couldn't quit smoking. Could, could not smoke, uh, quit smoking that, that weed. And maybe there's people that have a hard time, uh, you know, with something else. But this was her deal. And she, she asked me, she said, do you want me to leave the church? She said, I don't want to be a, a bad testimony here. Maybe you want me to leave. And um, I'll never forget. Something rose up, an answer from my heart, or from the Holy Spirit, from out of my heart. I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. What God is doing in your heart right now, if you'll let him keep working in your heart, keep feeding on that word that is, is feeding your heart, is going to cause your spirit to bust out of that thing. And I saw it like a, something that encased her, had just been on her. I said, don't even think about that. You just let the word of God keep working on the inside and you're going to find your spirit outgrow that yoke and bust it off of you. And it did. Praise, praise the name of the Lord. Uh, I, the devil would love for you to get fascinated with the yoke. Fascinated with how it's built, trying to tear it off yourself. But praise the name of the Lord, there is power in the anointing, not only that comes on, uh, on you for ministry to break the yoke, but also on the inside. That anointing can grow up on the inside and bust stuff off of you that used to be a problem. It doesn't have to be a problem anymore. Praise the name of the Lord. Now go to Hebrews, the first chapter in verse 9. And we're going to end with this one. It says, you have loved righteousness. This is a prophecy about Jesus and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And this was talking about Jesus because Jesus loved righteousness and he hated he hated iniquity. He hated the things that were not of God. It says that God anointed him, and what he anointed him with here was an oil of gladness. Other translation says an oil of joy. Well, what does the Bible say about the joy of the Lord? What is it? It's your strength. Somebody that has an oil of gladness or joy on them is strong, goes from strength to strength. And instead of a yoke causing them to become weaker and weaker and weaker, as that anointing is, is increasing on the inside of you or comes on you, there is an increasing, increasing of joy, and that joy is your strength. Praise the name of the Lord. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story that you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at churchatrhema.org.au. 
If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website, arena.org.au.